0: welcome back to the last word on send podcast as always i'm your host alex Metzger, and back for episode 57 of the podcast uh joining me today making his return to the podcast it
1: is jack richardson jack thank you so much for joining me how's it going today man hey no problem man i'm always happy to hop on and uh there's always send stuff to talk about so there's never never a dull day in in the land eh no absolutely not Uh, and especially this season it,
0: it feels like there is uh no end, no end to the talking points, which uh, I'm not going to complain about uh, um, specifically. That's for sure. It's been about a year, I think, actually, since I last had you on, which is honestly hard to believe. I was looking back on it and I was like, it did not feel that long, but you know, time flies, as they say. And um, there's a lot to discuss today. As I was telling you, my last episode was uh, before the All Star break, about three weeks ago. Now is a little longer than I wanted to. Uh, go with the, uh, between recordings but just with the all-star break there wasn't a ton a ton to talk about i don't know about you i i don't usually put too much uh into watching the all-star game or anything like that to me it's i know people like to complain about it or have their opinion one way or the other i kind of look at it as it's it's for the kids it's a live event like if i'm not there you know i'm probably not gonna waste my or tune my weekend around watching it but also if anyone's gonna do that so be it like I, you know, more power to you if you want to, but that's just not what I was uh, up to that personal weekend myself.
1: Yeah. It's kind of like background noise. I feel like, right. And and I, I watch the games. I think it's good that they put them in the middle of the day. Just uh, you know, the ratings don't matter that much. What does make me feel a bit better about the direction of the NHL and all that is, you know, the NBA all-star game just, just happened recently. And I was seeing similar comments about, you know, the dunk contest being the skills competition, you know, so it's not just an NHL problem. I think it's a generic league problem with all these all-star games. So, uh, really, I think everyone always mentions the MLB one is the only one that matters, right? Cause the home run derby is great all the time. And then, uh, you know, the implications of the national league or American league winning has an impact on, the World Series, which I don't know if I'd want to see hockey do that because it seems a little bit unfair, but um, you're right. It's it's more just background noise. It's cool for every team to have a representative for the most part. I know people get bent out of shape about that a little bit, just with some you know bad hockey team sending a guy who probably wouldn't go if it was the best of the best. But it's still cool seeing Grady Kachuk there year in and year out. Yeah, with uh, I think the biggest thing
0: that the MLB is going for them is you can't fake throwing a ninety-five mile per hour fastball, right? Yeah, like, yeah exactly. There, there's yeah. no, there's no hiding behind that. Whereas, like if you're going half, half in, half out in baseball, you're going to get absolutely clocked. So, uh, but yeah, every other sport, like football, is the exact same way. They just changed a flag football for their Pro Bowl, and yeah, and even that people didn't really like. So, I, yeah, it, it's just one of those things where. Um, you know, I I keep I'm more I like the skills competition more than the actual game itself for hockey. And I think that's just how it's going to be. I, I do actually like that they went to three on three versus the five on five format. Um, to me, at least it makes it a little more exciting. And again, like the guys just aren't going to try it. I'll blame them for that. Because at least We just saw LeBron get hurt in the All-Star game. Uh, this weekend yeah. for the lake and it's like they're trying to make the playoffs right now like god forbid someone blocks a shot in the nhl game or or whatever so uh, but yeah we, we've had six games since the all-star break now you know obviously ottawa had uh, their bye week right after the all-star break so there was a big chunk without actually any ottawa hockey to talk about and then it's been some up and down since they came back Um you know they they, uh, they got off on the wrong foot with a loss to the Oilers, but then battled back with an OT win against the Flames in a massive comeback game. Uh, they then beat the Islanders in a shootout, lost to the Blackhawks in, in overtime, and then walloped the St. Louis Blues on uh, Sunday, and then turned around and lost to the Bruins yesterday as we're recording this on Tuesday. So it's been a mixed bag of results for sure. 3-2-1 and one is their record since the All-Star break. Um, obviously, there's a lot to talk about in terms of those games you know, when it, we'll get to Forsberg and all that stuff as well. But from a macro level, how have you felt about this team over the past five or six games since they've returned from the break?
1: Um, I don't know. It's tough. I think I think inconsistent would be a good word. But when you look at it as a whole, you know, those two regulation losses against the Oilers and then against the Bruins were kind of scheduled losses, right? I I, I mean, the Edmonton won way more than the Bruins won just because the Oilers were hot, one of the hottest teams in the league. The Sens were coming off of twelve days off. The Oilers had played three games already since the All Star break. Like it wasn't a good storm, um, and they did put up a good effort. They just kind of fell apart in the third there. But uh, and then obviously Forsberg goes down. So I think I think it's been a little bit clouded just these last few games with how well Sogard and of have, have played. Um, I'm not overly uh, like um, excited, I guess, or, or optimistic. I should say about you know, where they are versus where they were at the all-star break. I don't think much has changed. What is exciting though, is just the standings. Right. And that kind of changes my perception of how they're playing because you can sit there and say, Oh, they're, you know, they lost an overtime to the Blackhawks. Well, that point that they got against the Blackhawks is huge. Uh, You know, we might look back on that and be like, that's a point they needed, you know? Um, so I, I think I think the time of year matters with how they're playing. If they were playing this way in December and, and maybe even November, it would be a little bit different because they're not necessarily dominating the games that they're winning, except for that one against the Blues. Really, um, I don't really know if you feel the same way, but just kind of kind of more of the same for me. Like nothing's nothing's changed since uh, the new year. Uh, I would say. Yeah, it's been
0: for me a trend all year where this team feels so inconsistent. I think is the best way to put it in terms of they go stretches even within games. But especially across multiple games, I find where they look like this team that I thought they might be this high offense, like dominating possession kind of team where they it looks like they they can't be stopped for either a period at a time or a couple games at a time, and then you get like just random periods of and spurts like that ten minutes against Chicago where they they let up two or three goals right in the third period and and blow a lead to the worst place team in the NHL, and, and you know those games happen. It, it's frustrating as hell, but. I mean, the Toronto Maple Leafs just lost the Chicago Blackhawks the other night as well. Like right. fresh off a Ryan O'Reilly trade. And and, and again, that's not an excuse necessarily for Ottawa. Like you still need to pick up those points here and there. But you know, it, it's not just a scheduled win. But yeah, when it comes to the two regular losses that they are regular regulation, sorry, losses that they've had, um, I'm kind of with you in terms of Both of them were very scheduled losses. Uh, The the one against Edmonton, I haven't checked recently, and it's one thing I want to get into, but when they first put this bye week in, and the reason I haven't checked recently is they obviously haven't had the bye week with the COVID-shortened schedules over the past couple of years, but when they first put the bye in, it was something like six out of 30 teams won the first game back on their bye or something like that. And it was even more aggressive in terms of like, I think it was like 8% of teams that was playing their first game against a team that had already played a game since their bye week or won. Like it was basically a scheduled loss if you were coming back. And then that's exactly what Ottawa was doing. As you had mentioned, Edmonton had been playing that whole week. So, (laughs) excuse me. That's one where, again, it's one of those things where you look back and it's like, yeah, it it sucks. But like, what are you supposed to do? And then the second day of a back-to-back against the hottest team in hockey in the Boston Bruins, like – in boston exactly in boston yeah. when you're traveling it's just and they put up a pretty good i didn't get to watch much of the game yesterday i was actually watching kitchener and hamilton Um, uh, funny enough but from what i saw they put up a rather good effort you know i don't think they yeah. had played boston by any means but they hung tough in there for a little while and right in the third period is when it got blown open a little bit but like yeah if they would have got a point out of that i would have been absolutely ecstatic the fact that they didn't isn't the end of the world to me but you know, the uh, the path from here is really, really crucial to start getting some points. You know, you you look over the next couple of games and again, consistency is the key word we have. This is going to be the make or break time, I think, for it. they play the Hurricanes. That's going to be an incredibly tough test on Friday. The Hurricanes are a damn good team. But then you go Canadians, Red Wings, Red Wings, Rangers, Blue Jackets, Blackhawks. So you have the Hurricanes who are a damn good team. You have the Canadians who you need to beat. And then you have the Red Wings who you're battling with right in the standings. Either team takes four points one way or the other there. That is a massive switch in what the playoff uh, structure looks like or the race for the playoffs. And then the Blue Jackets and Blackhawks, again, are rebuilding teams that you need to take points off of, and the Rangers will be a a tough out as well. But, um, yeah, just over the past couple games, like, I I kind of agree with you where I I just – I don't feel – passionately one way or the other, if, if that's a, if you know what I mean, like I don't, I'm not super negative on this team either. I, I think yeah. there is pieces still there and, and there's bright spots, but yeah, like it's kind of hard to to be super all invested right now in terms of this season.
1: I think it's fair to say too, that those two against the Red Wings next week, you could argue that, you know, if you don't get two, at least two, if you don't split that, at least your playoff hopes are gone because we're looking at the teams, you know, in the standings that they got to catch And as it stands right now, it's Florida and Pittsburgh, but I'm sure it'll change by Friday before the Sens play again. So you've got the Sens with all these games in hand on all these teams, right? They've got games in hand on the Islanders, the Penguins, and the Caps. And then you've got the Sabres and the Red Wings who are tied in games to the Sens, but a few points ahead of them in each. So you're talking about playing the Red Wings. If the Red Wings take four from the Sens, they're going to be off to the races, right? You can just assume that you're not catching Detroit and Detroit will be in a good spot to make a playoffs. So I wouldn't want to hinge the whole season on those two games, but just with the way the schedules worked and the the rescheduling of that game, you know, they are one-on-one against Detroit this year, um, both coming in Detroit, you've got back-to-back at home against Detroit. However, it's going to be four games in five days here after a bit of a break um, coming up, right? They, they don't play for three days and then they're in Carolina. So I don't, I don't know if I want to use that last Red Wings game and be like, oh, it's four and five nights because, event like they're going to play a lot of games because they have games in hand on absolutely everyone they're trying to catch. So it's tough. It's tough. I I do think that two, two is necessary in that um back to back, but you were right. You're right about the the games after that against Chicago, Columbus, and the Rangers. Like these are just points they need to get one way or the other. And I mean, they're playing much. So, so they, what's that? So it's seven games and they've got Carolina, Montreal, Detroit, 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 Columbus, Chicago, and New Yorkers in some kind of order. Yep. Three of those are, you have to win against Montreal, Chicago, and Columbus, no questions asked. Absolutely have to get six points out of those. Even if you end up winning against the better teams, which they should still be expected to compete with, right? So it's difficult. It's hard to not look ahead, um, but it's fun. It's fun to be able to do this at this time of the year, which is why I'm not you know, down on them for only being three, two, and one after the break, because all things considered, I think that's pretty good. Yeah, and it's nice that it's a change
0: where, You know, as silly as – silly is not the right word, but as funny as it can be to watch, you know, scoreboard watching for six different teams because that's who's all still in this giant mix of wildcard teams. It is nice to at least actually be in that race, even if it's, you know – yeah, it's not super likely the Ottawa Senators are are going to make the playoffs. Like, the the math is just going to tell you that with how many teams they have to jump. But this is way better than being 16 points out, 26 points out, like they have been – the past three or four years, right? So even the fact that we can look at the next seven games and be like, if they win, if they go four, two, and one, they're still in a decent spot. Like, that's just such a nice feeling versus years past, right? Yeah. And again, it's been a tough road to get here in terms of how high the expectations were to start the year, the ups and downs that have gone on. But those downs of the early year is exactly why. Like, I had someone point out after – the Blackhawks game and like people were freaking out and rightfully so. Again, like that's a team you you know, if you're trying to make playoffs and, and use these games in hand to your advantage, you need to start beating those teams. But someone had pointed out, like, well, they have won five of six heading into the all-star break, and and you know, are now two, one, and one coming out of the all-star break. Like, there's definitely worse things to um have happened, and I totally agree with that. But the problem I have is they need to keep going on these runs because they had seven games in a row to start the season or not to start, but 10 games into the season where they took no points, zero points. So you need multiple games of these seven game stretches where you're not just going 500. Cause that's not good enough. You need to be going seven fifty or so. And again, like there's going to be some nights where you need to beat some tough opponents, but that's the position they put themselves in if they want to keep competitive here. And um. You know, obviously, with, with no Forsberg, I think it's a good time to get into it, obviously. Forsberg going down and tears both MCLs, it's out, and, like, both legs. I mean, for obviously, first of all, wishing him the best in a recovery, that just... That just sounds horrible. You know, one MC, one leg is bad enough, especially with goalies. You know, how often do we see knee injuries ruin a goalie's career, but both, I I just can't even imagine rehabbing from that. So obviously his well being is the first thing that comes to mind here, but um, you know, Talbot is kind of working his way back and, and there's still kind of rumors. I think that he's going to be on the block as you know, he might be an option that they move out. Um, I, you touched on earlier. I've been really impressed with Sogard and and Mandalay's early so far. Um, It's a bit of a scary proposition, I think, to uh, go with two 22-year-olds on the rest of the way. But to be honest, if they get a deal that they like for Cam Talbot, I'm okay just running the young guys here. Like, I I know it's it's not the traditional thinking of things, and if it was a full 82-game season, I would totally agree. Maybe they don't want to do that. 30 games or so, honestly, with the way these guys are looking, let them split the net and see if one of them gets confident. Let them get some leash here.
1: Yeah, it's tough because, you know, if you stop a puck at the end of the day, then I'm happy, right? And so far, those two have been. But you're right, it's it's scary, just the the idea that you might have to run with two rookies. Now, Sogard would be the main guy, I, I would imagine, right? Mandelazi's played two back-to-backs, and they did send him down today, and I people were wondering if that was just a paper transaction. But it looks like Cam Talbot might be ready to play for this weekend or at least back up. So that's huge, right, because you've got two back-to-back coming up again. Um, I, I'm of the mind, like you said, if, if they get a trade that blows their doors off, I would take it, but what's that trade, right? Is it, I, I don't know. I'm sure everyone has a different, um, you know, standard, but if it's a second round pick, I think I would do it.
0: Oh, if it's sure.
1: anything less than a second, I'm not even considering it because you need a goalie, you need a warm body and you might just have to cut your losses about Cam Talbot. And if he doesn't want to stay, if you want to keep him, you revisit that in the off season, but like we were mentioning, they're in a position where they just need wins right now. So I don't hate the notion of of having a guy like Cam Talbot in. Now, the good thing is if he comes back this weekend, uh, the deadline is March 3rd. So that would be a full week, it seems, right? Yeah, where next can, Friday. Yeah, so you get a few games, at least two or three under Talbot's belt. And then, A, you can look at it and be like, okay, do we like him more than Sogard down the stretch? And B, other teams can look at him, right? I think um, if he's injured, it's hard to even table a trade. So you might be stuck with him anyway. Another thing, though, I was just thinking about the standings because my head's spinning a little bit now because it's so tight, right? And I'm thinking about all the teams that Ottawa's got in front of them. So you've got Detroit, Buffalo, uh, Washington, the Islanders, and the Penguins. Of all those teams, and did I miss one there? And Florida. Florida, yeah. Okay. So Florida is the only one that the Sens haven't beat this year. They've only played them once, so they'll play them a couple, a couple times at least, maybe three even, um, down the stretch here. All the other teams – are either tied in the season series with Ottawa or Ottawa's won the season series with it. And then there's a couple of games left. So like Pittsburgh, they're one and one against. They got one more against them. The Capitals, sends won the season series, went two zero oh and one against them. Uh, Florida, obviously still in the air. Buffalo, the Sens are up 2-1. They play at the end in the last game of the year. And then Detroit, obviously tied 1-1. One, one. So that's important because you still have a game to play pretty much against all these teams. Uh, they beat the, the Islanders in the season series. I don't know if they play again, but you know what I mean? So I, I think... You can look at oh, it's hard to jump all these teams, but since there's so many teams, a they're all going to play each other again, and b the Sens have already taken points from them and still can. So I I think I look at that as a positive. Um, this Detroit weekend though, <laughs> that's going to really gauge things. And w- but on the topic, I'm comfortable having Cam Talbot in the fold, even if it, it means kind of coughing up an asset that you don't already don't even have at the moment, right? I think. March they're going to be one of the busiest teams in the league. They have a lot of back to backs and a lo- a very hard schedule. Um, and so these four games in five days, you need a good tandem. Um, and not to say that Mando hasn't been good enough, because he has been for sure. Uh, he definitely wasn't at fault against Boston, but um, I'm more comfortable with Talbot and Sogard, I believe.
0: Yeah, I mean, Talbot's got the the experience we've seen it over a number of years, of course. And, and so, you know, I, I think that's fair. The way I look at it with the Talbot trade and and kind of, obviously, and we'll get into the Mont trade in a second as well, and why I was a little disappointed with it is the way I'm looking at some of these UFAs. I mean, there's a couple of them, obviously. Hamannick's not going anywhere, but I throw him in the, in the loop here as well. But Watson is another name where, you know, he's a UFA. Even like if you want to throw Broussard in there, that's fine basically those couple of guys I think you should just try and get off the team they're not in your long-term plans if you can get any kind of asset for them I think they have better depth in the AHL anyways especially when it comes to the forwards like I I think they they should be trying to move out a couple UFA forwards just to give a guy like Sokolov or whatever a look even Crookshank's another name I've seen brought up right Um, but when it comes to Cam Talbot is specifically in terms of a guy like I don't think you're getting more than a fifth for Austin Watson, a fourth, maybe right. Like uh, even Derek Broussard, I think it's like a fourth round pick is probably what I would be hoping for. And those were okay. Those are fine assets to have for guys. You don't see in your long-term future for Cam Talbot. Again, I think if it's only a fourth or whatever you're being offered, I'm totally okay. Keeping him for the year. And even if he walks this off season, that's fine. Um, The way I would look at it, if I'm management, I think is the reason I would flip him is if you get an asset that you feel you can use to flip sites of this summer. Um, And I know that's a very specific statement, but I do think, you know, it sounds like they're going to have to, I I would assume it's going to be easier to flip Zaitsev this summer when it's only one year left of his salary. Um, You know, even Ottawa could retain a little bit if they really wanted to or needed to to get him off the books. And then, you know, that way, even if, let's say it's a third round pick that you get back from Talbot, if Ottawa then this summer eats some money and can send that third round pick that they get from Talbot with Zaitsev to whatever team they're sending him to, I think that's, the only reason I would look in terms of a, a Talbot deal right now is can this secure us a little more? So we're not having to give up our own assets. If you look just internally at what you have right now planning towards this summer. And again, if that trade's not there, I don't think you should go out and make a trade just for the sake of making a trade. Because as you've mentioned, I think there is with how many games they're going to have to play compared to some of these other teams, there is definitely value in having a known commodity in net like Cam Talbot and Obviously, we're not going to see Forsberg again this year. So, you know, having that stabilizing force that could play with Sogard, and even if it's in a tandem position, you know, like I think, you know, we at times we saw Forsberg and um, Gustafson in past years play as a tandem down the stretch. I'd be totally okay with that with Sogard and Talbot as well. And play the hot hand as it goes. But, um, yeah, when it comes to Talbot specifically, I I think – I would definitely be looking if it's a second round pick, I'd be all over that. If it's a third round pick, I'd probably still do it. If it's like a, again, like if it's just a prospect that's not even a prospect, a player that's like 25 years old in a seventh round pick, like they got back in the Mott trade, that's not the return I'd be looking for. So if it's something like that, I am totally on board with just keeping Talbot for the rest of the year.
1: Yeah. It's, it's hard to, yeah. I don't know. I mean, the Mott thing, I was okay with it just because it was so lateral and you, end, I guess, end up getting an asset in return. Like, Mott's a, Mott seems to be anyway, like a really good playoff guy, like just a depth, really great fourth liner in the playoffs. But if you're Ottawa and you're not sure you're going to make the playoffs, you know, Mott's not necessarily a guy you would want to buy. And also they need depth scoring. Not that Gauthier brings that, but he has, I think, I think there's way more offensive potential with Gauthier than there was with Tyler Mott. So that's the way I I would kind of see it. Um, Yeah. But, but with Talbot, it'll be hard to make a lateral move, right? Because, it's either a pick and, like you said, a prospect. You're probably not getting a goalie back for him. The other thing, though, with Talbot is you have to think about the market. Like, what team out there is going to pay a second round pick for probably a backup in the playoffs, right? Because most playoff teams seem comfortable with their goaltending situation. I, the only one I can think of, honestly, off the top of my head, is Toronto. That Vegas, with maybe with I guess out, Vegas but... with Thompson out. Yeah, and they, they've got a bit of wiggle room there, but. Um, there's probably others that could use a bit of an upgrade, but then you got to gauge his Talbot actually an upgrade and, and all this. So, um, I'm not sure I could, if they don't end up moving him, I won't be upset. Uh, and it's like you said, all their other UFAs are, are, are pending UFAs aren't going to fetch much. And I, yeah, I'd like to see them, you know, s- send Watson out and, and even Broussard could probably fetch a decent return, but. At that point, it's it's like you're you're then inserting Sokolov and a Crookshank probably, and hopefully they're going to provide some depth scoring. But while they would, yeah, they 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 have the potential to provide more of that depth scoring. I don't want to rely on three rookies who have never really played NHL games to do that scoring for me. If that makes sense, right? If 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 I'm so if I'm trading Austin Watson, I'm looking to bring in someone who can produce offense at the NHL level and who has done it. And might just be a fourth liner. And that's that's what the Sens need right now. They need more depth on that fourth line. Austin Watson had 10 goals last year, and he's got two this year. So he's obviously he's dropped off a lot offensively. That te- those 10 goals go a long way from a fourth liner. Um, and we've seen it with the Sens even strength offense, it's just non-existent, or it's been better uh post-all-star break, I'd say. And but most of that is Tim Stutzle and Brady Kachuk. But um, they need some third and fourth line offense. Uh, and, and I'm not sure that any of their UFAs trading them will make that difference this season it's kind of maybe a summer uh thing that you address
0: yeah i definitely agree i think it is a summer thing that you address in terms of especially a, a long-term fix um you know that's why i kind of on the way of i'd rather just trade them out just to see if anything new works at this point like it's yeah. to, to me it, it's almost more I'm, i don't even like it put someone like sokolov in i'm not even reliance the wrong word i think in terms of what i would want i just I'm hoping they give something different because yeah. the the way I view it, it can't be worse than what they have now in terms of like it's just I did a deep dive on this a week or two ago. And this was right around the when the they were on their bye weekend, and I knew it was bad. I didn't realize how bad it was. Like they they had like five guys, maybe it was four it, between Castellic, Parker Kelly, Dylan Gambrell. And Austin Watson, they had four guys who were all on pace for ten or less points over eighty-two games played, and yeah. all of them actually had thirty-five or more games played. Like,
1: yeah, it's like I cut it.
0: No, it, it's just not right.
1: And, and so, yeah. and again,
0: like I, and even like Tyler Mott, he was close enough on that range as well, where it's like I don't mind the, the Mott move in a vacuum. I definitely don't mind. I don't think you. I don't. I don't think you can call the Mott move a bad one. That's for sure. No, I, I don't like. It wasn't. Yeah. I, it was fourth. I because under- on one hand, I like the Gothier thing in terms of anyone new is definitely just a better, a better yeah. thing to have. Yeah. On the other hand, I, I go, would I rather have a mid-round pick and, and again try to give someone internally? I don't know. I, I struggle with that personally.
1: The, the thing is, like based on how Mott started the year, so he was a late signing in the summer, had a great preseason beside Pinto and Joseph. We're like, okay, this is gonna be a great third line, all the depth is there. And then I think Norris's injury, bumping Pinto up for, you know, and, and then Brassard going up, like, that whole thing disrupted everything more than I think people give credit for. And then Mott and Joseph, just their production fell off a cliff. And I think Mott had, what, seven points in his first nine games, and I think he's now up to nine points or something like that. Like, he just has no offense since then, which is awful, you know, for the player, he battles some injuries and sort of Joseph. But it's it's tough because I think in, in the – context of the signing and when you know the reaction and how the preseason started it's a very underwhelming trade um but when you think about how he's produced this season you have to move on from that and just get whatever you can and in a way it's it's a plus they got a team controlled player who is an nhl guy um and an asset even though it's a, a late pick but uh i i don't i don't think it's i think what, we, what you said is right it's not bad but it's not not good it's just it literally just. uh like a swap it's, it's yeah it, exactly and like there's nothing wrong
0: with that inherently and yeah it, it's just one of those things where and i don't again like i don't think you should feel if you're feeling insanely passionate about this move one way or the other you're probably overvaluing what these moves actually mean to a team in the long term and, and you know like i just think it's one of those things where it depends how you view the opportunity cost of like who you would rather see in versus a guy like Gauthier. And again, like I am happy that they in like, there's a world where they just went out and got a different 28 year old UFA or something like that, or, or a guy who's not very good, but signed for two more years or something like that. And it's like, at least with Gauthier, he's an RFA. Yeah. He has his team rights. He's not going to cost much. So you can probably just sign him to a one-year deal. And, and if things don't work out again next year, you're probably in the same boat where you're either going to flip him on the deadline for something small else, or you're just going to let him walk next summer and, either one of those are very whatever options if it doesn't work out. Right. And yeah, obviously you have the higher end of that where maybe he becomes an effective fourth liner for the Ottawa centers. And he comes there just staple 11th forward in this lineup or whatever for two or three years. And yeah, Tyler Mott just wasn't going to be that. And, you know, I, I know I, I liked Mott's game and even I thought some of his scoring drought was a little unlucky, but at the end of the day, I didn't see a fit for his contract, like his next contract. Right. Like I think there's, You know, it gets to Ottawa's quietly getting to the top of the cap here, like with all the guys they paid in their top six and rightfully so, like I wouldn't change any of those top six contracts. And, you know, if they really want to go get an actual right-handed defenseman, whether that be this trade deadline or next summer, that's going to cost, you know, a couple million bucks, let's say $4 million at the very least that doesn't put them with a lot of wiggle room. If you're trying to pay your depth players, two point five three million $3 million each, like you're going to have to start finding some depth for about 900 K, whether that be 28 year old or 26 year old reclamation projects like a uh, Julian gotha is, or if it's, you know, guys that you've internally developed, Tyler Boucher, Igor Sokolov, you know, those kind of guys are going to have to start taking the steps over the, the next couple of years. Um, obviously it doesn't have to be, next year necessarily but definitely that's just how good teams replace their depth right so um yeah no i I think the mock trade was fine like i would give it a b minus or yeah like that that's just kind of i think there was you know maybe you could have got a better or different return with some other options but at the end of the day this is a fine option i'm curious to see how it goes so um I, i think other than like, I'm not expecting, I don't, I don't know what well, the Colton Perryaco has been a name that's been thrown around today a lot specifically. Um, I think I saw you tweet about it. I think we're both kind of on the same mind where for me, that's a name stay away from at all costs in terms of, I love the player in his peak. He was awesome for a number of years in his prime. The dude's turning 30 this coming year. He's had back issues, I believe this past year yeah. and a half, which is like really scary for like, when I think of back issues with defensemen, I think of Jake Muzzin, Uh, Jake Gardner, P.K. Subban, and Ryan Ellis are four that come to mind right away. Ryan Ellis and Jake Muzzin are two guys that play a lot like Colton Perrieco in terms of the hard defensive shutdown style, and those guys just fell off a cliff and couldn't play at all. So taking a seven-year contract for a 30-year-old who's had declining numbers for three or four years now just kind of – that kind of scares me. Um, Do you have anything
1: else different to uh, take on that? Like would you be open to the move or – yeah, I would um if it wasn't for the contract. I think I think if it was a short-term deal, I wouldn't I don't mind that number to be honest. Like it's it's not outrageous and and any you like you mentioned the sends are up against the cap, so anytime they make a move, you're going to have to move money out. That's just the reality of the situation now that they're in. So the the money doesn't necessarily bother me. The length of the contract does a little bit. Um I think his style though, when he's at the top of his game, and then you have to you are taking the gamble of can he get back to the top of his game? Um I and look, I think that for for all the you know the hate that Travis Hamnick gets and he 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 isn't a good top four defenseman and all that, he's been better than advertised. Uh, and the bar was on the floor, but when they traded for him, it was uh not very happy. Canucks fans were celebrating and I don't think he's been Awful. He's been an upgrade on Nikita Zaitsev. He's taken his minutes away for the most part, which I think was a small victory for the Sens. So my point anyway is they've kind of proven that they can kind of take these defensemen and and improve what they were before a little bit and kind of reclaim what they used to be. Now, is was never what Pareko is um, and kind of vice versa, right? So I would would say that if the Sens can even get a little bit of what Colton Pareko was in that 2019 playoff run – where the blues ended up winning the cup. That's a win for the Sens. Now there are other options out there and Pierre Dorian has clearly checked in on all of them because the Sens have been linked to like seven different defensemen throughout the course of this season to the point where I'm, I'm, I just, I'm not, I'm, I almost don't want to talk about the potential of a guy being on the Sens because they've inquired about absolutely everyone. Um, which they should do. And I would imagine most teams do anyway that are looking for an upgraded position, but it's, it's just a strange. General thing, right? It's like, strange that we keep hearing about it. And it's almost like, you know, the send, you know, every, every NHL team leaks information or players leak information to agents to, I think, to see what fans think. And I don't think people think about that enough, but I genuinely do believe that the sends do it a lot just to see fan reaction, um, and to be honest, the one for Perico is not good uh, overall. But if they traded for him, I wouldn't be totally against it. I think he's a better option than a guy like Tyler Myers. Um, I think he's better than, uh, I wouldn't say better than Sean Walker or Matt Roy in, in uh, LA, but there is something to be said about them needing to add a bit of size to the back end. Uh, they are a rather small blue line, I would say. You know, Nick Holden's probably their biggest defenseman, but he's not a physical defenseman. For the most part, right. So, um, if it's it's a lot of ifs, and I didn't really see much of Pareko in that St. Louis game because, frankly, the whole team looked bad. The entire Blues team is just absolutely awful this year, stats wise. Like Ryan O'Reilly is still a great player, but he was he's had a, having an awful year in terms of stats. So, I don't want to read too much into that. However, the decline is a little bit concerning. So, to answer the question, the long the the short answer is, I would be okay with him on the team. But there would have to be more involved. Like I don't know if you can pay full price and just send a guy like JBD over to St. Louis and just do a one for one. Like there's got to be something involved with the money. Um, I doubt St. Louis would retain because it's so so long. But uh, something something else would have to be involved. I think on St. Louis's end for me to be happy with it. Uh, especially considering he's old and he's thirty. But again, if Dorian ends up pulling the trigger on this trade on the deadline, um, it'll be a strange one to say the least.
0: Yeah, there's so many factors that go into it, right, in terms of, like, at this point, I think if you're St. Louis, I think there's an argument to be made that you should be willing to get Perry Echo up for almost nothing if the team's eating his entire contract. As weird as that sounds, because he's been such a useful defenseman, the opportunity cost of having that almost $7 million free for the next seven years, as obviously St. Louis goes into a bit of a retool here, is so valuable. Um, now, obviously, this is the NHL. I don't. They're not going to start their negotiations by saying that and they would definitely be looking for an asset so yeah what that asset is would be very curious uh, I think the other thing I wonder with a deal like this that comes to mind is what um how the player feels as well like I'm sure Perry Aiko wants to play NHL players obviously want to play I kind of wonder with a trade like like if a trade like this were to happen how many securities would be needed in terms of the what keeps coming to mind for me is like if a team were to make this trade, if I, if I'm the team acquiring them anyways, I would almost have to have something in writing that says like, okay, if these results keep going downhill for two or three more years, you're just getting tossed on LTIR. Like whether you, you like it or not, we're finding that back injury and we're putting you on LTIR. And I know that sounds sketchy or whatever, but we've seen teams do it, you know, whether it's that open or not, um, you know, we, we, we've seen teams do it and I definitely agree with, you know this this the blue line could use some more size and and that's kind of where I I worry about you know like uh, even with the Travis Hammond thing I agree the results have been much better than expected and just even underlying numbers have been better but part of me wonders how aggressively much that has been just Jake Sanderson really propping him up and and as weird as that sounds because you know uh at the end of last year Hammond's numbers weren't great either and then he, he pairs with Sanderson and Sanderson away from Hamnick still gets better. Hamnick away from Sanderson gets much, much worse. So, um, you know, that, that's one of the things where, yeah, we're, we're naming some of these contracts. It's like, I wouldn't touch any of these with a six-foot pole. So um, a name that I'd be curious if they wanted to look at a, a more veteran guy, 30, he's 30 years old, six foot five. It's Scott Mayfield out of the New York Islanders. Um, UFA, right? This yep, UFA. Up. So he's yeah. got one year left at, or sorry, this is his final year at one45 Um, Some people might ask why the Islanders would be selling after they just picked up Bo Horvat, but uh, Matthew Barzell is out indefinitely. So, it's not a given that they are going to fully keep going, pushing all in for this year. I would probably lean that Lou probably would, but he's another name. I don't think they're gonna be able to resign him. So maybe he's the name you circle back in the summer. Even I pulled up Evolving Hockey's contract prediction, and this unfortunately doesn't include this year. So I'll have to circle back obviously at the end of this year when they update their model to see. But as of last year's a UFA, they had his predicted cap hit at about $4.5 million uh, about four years. So takes him yeah. until he's 34 years old at the four to 4.5 range. The, the, zoom, it's a, no, the zoom contract, essentially. Exactly. Right. With, yeah. The ju- yeah. uh, same thing. And it's a little pricey, maybe for a 30 year old, especially because Mayfield is more played a bottom pair role from what I've understood in, in, in New York. But like that's a type of guy, if you're going to go for size and experience and all this, I'd rather target like a Scott Mayfield type that I know has at least had decent underlying numbers and I think could plug in well versus, yeah, even someone like Perry Aiko where, again, the four to seven years doesn't seem like much of a difference, but those three years can be a huge difference when it comes to either getting off of the contract if you need to or even just eating it in the in, in the short to long term as well. So, um, you know, that's just one name I kind of – Had my eyes on it's not someone I've heard them link to or anything. And and honestly, at the end of the day, as you said, like GMs call each other all the time. It it shouldn't be news as much that like teams are interested. Of course, every team should be interested in Connor McDavid. That means they're, it doesn't mean they're getting Connor McDavid, right? But if I was a GM, I call the, I call Ken Holland every day and be like, yeah, you think of moving them yet? You think of moving them yet? Even if I get hung up on. So um, it it is one of those things where I I do think it's going to be a ton of chatter between this week and next Friday. I honestly still feel like the most likely outcome is that they don't make a move at the deadline for a big right hand defense. I, I think, agree. I, I just feel like that's a summer move. I think they get off Zaitsev in the summer. And then once they know what the cap situation looks like, that's where they shift. And that's when they try and find someone, whether that be trade or free agency.
1: I think they might get off Zaitsev this deadline and then <laughs> do that in the summer. Um, I mean, I hope, I don't know. I, 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 and it's it's honestly become now more for me this season, which is which is honestly a testament to Nikita Zaitsev. because again, this all is all goes without saying. I can't imagine the psychological element for a player like that. You get sent down to the AHL, like he's not from Canada, like he's Russian, a foreign country, and, and it just I can't imagine the you know the stress and all that, that that would be on a player. But anyway, for me, because of the way he's kind of come back and he hasn't been he's really simplified his game, I think. Um, still a, a problem, not, not a, not a top six NHL defenseman, but he's really simplified his game. So now the biggest problem is just the contract. Um, you know, I'm not, so my point is like, you're not automatically getting better anymore by taking him off a roster. That was the case earlier. I don't believe that's the case anymore. It's just the cap hit and they can't afford to pay him that money next season with the Pinto, Brandstrom, all needing new deals in the summer um and then you got to talk about a backup goalie you got to fill out this depth that they have a problem with so there's a lot to do in the offseason with limited space you get rid of Zaitsev's contract you've got a lot more options in terms of uh roster flexibility cap flexibility you name it so I think that if Dorian is going to do anything huge at this deadline it needs to be moving on from Zaitsev's deal and I know there's going to be people who say why would you pay a second to do that at this point like it's a bit of a waste blah 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 um it's worth it. It's you're basically paying a second to pay Alex to bring it, uh, which is the way I would look at it because then all that money is basically just going go to go to bring his next deal. <laughs> you're upgrading his 6 million to eight and a half plus, then you're turning, you know, that's Zaitsev's four and a half cap. It is going to that. So um, that's what I think will happen. But the other thing I'll, uh, you kind of have to consider too, like they have these UFAs, right. And they're not huge pieces, not bringing back a big return. Um, it's not like the Blues where, you know, O'Reilly and Tara Sanko are going to fetch you first round picks. Like that was the Sens in 2019 with Stone and Duchesne. This is different because A, the Sens are in a playoff hunt and essentially you keep winning, you have a good chance to make it, even though there's so many teams to pass. Like they're still in the hunt. Um, and B, every single playoff team, even some that don't make it, have UFAs that walk at the end of the year. And I can't remember the last time the Sens had an unrestricted free agent that they let go of the summer and just let walk. Uh, and it, it's not a fun experience, obviously. It sucks for fans and everyone. But that's just the ideal or the the situation that the NHL is right now. It's the cap world. Um, and you can't keep everyone because every player, mostly in their 20s, gets a raise after a contract. So letting a guy like Nick Holden out the door or you know, Travis Hamannick out the door or Austin Watson or even Tyler Mott before they traded him would not have been the end of the world. Um, only guy I can think of would, would have been Connor Brown. If they had kept him this year and he's a UFA and he was still on the team producing, contributing, that would be an interesting discussion if he didn't have an extension in place, but he doesn't. And all the UFAs aren't crazy assets. So I don't hate letting all of them walk and just revamping the team in the summer. Uh, I don't know if you feel the same way. Cause I'd rather do that in the summer than post deadline because post deadline, you still need to win games and, whether you like it or not, like they're more likely to win hockey games with the current core they have than by inserting five different five new players into the lineup to learn new systems. I don't think people really appreciate how hard that can be for those five guys and the other players around them. Like it's it's tough to learn a new system right away. Um, so I don't hate hanging on to Hammond. I can hold him and uh, Holden in that scenario.
0: Yeah, I, I'm a mix of both. I definitely agree that a. There's nothing wrong with a view. And I mean, they're not going to sell all five UFAs. We've never seen them do that. You know, even two years ago when they were had like guys like Mike Riley and, you know, Erica Branson and stuff that they could sell, they sold a few of them, but there were still four or five UFAs that they kept. Like Tyler Ennis is a noticeable one that I, that I remember a couple of years ago, they kept for the whole year and, and people thought he might go. And, and, you know, I remember, I think it was the 20, 2020 deadline. I want to say where I think the Pajot deal happened, but other than that, it was just a little underwhelming in terms of what, what all went on. And, They're just never, as you said, they're never going to sell those UFAs. And yeah, I'm more than okay with letting a bunch of guys walk this summer that are, frankly, they're just not difference makers. And that's okay. So if you feel, yeah, like you can't get good return on them, this deadline you want to keep them, I'm totally fine with that. I would still say I'd rather try and move one or two spots open. Um, I think the blue line, you can you can leave as it. Like, I'm fine leaving Holden as your seventh and then reevaluating what you do this summer with them. If you want to just let them walk, that's totally okay. Um, yeah, like Austin Watson's the only one I would probably look to move just in terms of, again, I get easy. He seems like a great locker room guy, but let's be honest, he's not bringing much on the ice. I think you could get an upgraded return on what he has brought on the ice just because the whole playoff mentality or whatever where he blocks a lot of shots he fights all the time right like there's gonna be people looking for that quote-unquote toughness and grit you know you can argue whether Watson brings that appropriately when he loses every fight he's in but it's only like and it doesn't have to be just Watson I I just think moving maybe one more piece out of that bottom six to allow a guy come up post-deadline because I mean as you said you're not moving in five guys to learn a system, but you can move in one or two here or there and get them some NHL experience. Right. But I, I definitely agree with you where I think at times people make too big of a deal of losing UFAs. Um, yeah. Obviously if you're a team that is not a playoff team, you're not going to be wanting to lose a caliber of UFA like Tarasenko or someone like that, which is exactly why the blues are selling. And that makes sense to me. But yeah, the Ottawa centers have not had a Ryan O'Reilly type UFA and, in a number of years so it, it's it, it's two very different situations with with the guys they're selling and when it comes to Zaitsev I think um, it's obviously hard to know what future markets are going to be for him I think the only reason they don't do a deal if they are we to avoid a deal this deadline for him is if they think the cost is significantly lower this summer whether that makes sense or not you know I find NHL teams have tunnel vision for whatever reason, where a year and 20 games is two years to most teams. But if you get to the summer and only give them for that year, the cost suddenly drops by so much because they think it's only that year. Um, And again, I don't know if that's actually a thing. That's just kind of what it seems like in terms of the cost. So I would say the only reason maybe I could see Dorian waiting to the summer to do the Zaitsev deal in terms of – because they have to get the cap off before next season, 100%. But I would say the only reason I see him waiting is maybe he goes – Teams are asking for a second and a prospect of this deadline just to take Zaitsev. I can wait to the summer and get a third maybe instead or, or whatever, right? And and um the other thing I wanted to – I'm very curious to see if they do with Zaitsev because I think it was um the defense minister on Twitter, Tyler Ray on Twitter, who brought up a couple times – and I really like his point – is I wonder if there's a team that Ottawa could find that's also rebuilding – and has a contract that you know just isn't great in the bottom six. It's not horrible, but it's just like a little bit of an overpay and like Jason Dickinson is the guy I keep coming back to on Chicago where he was a cap dump from Vancouver, so he's got uh, one more year after this one at 2.65 million dollars. Um it's a little aggressive for what he brings. Like he's an okay fourth liner. Um you know, he uh I'm just trying to pull up his points. He's got 20 points in 51 games this year with Chicago. Um you know, so like he's on pace for about a 32-point season. Maybe they do uh, treat that as a positive value asset, but it's a player like that, where it's like a 25- to 30-point fourth-line player who's making probably a mil more than he should be. I wonder if there's any guy like that that they could convince the team, we're taking back your bad money, quote-unquote. You can take Zaitsev, and we're still going to give you the asset of a second-round pick, but then you're actually getting a depth player to upgrade on maybe one of their depth players, or your current bottom six as well. And, and again, Jason Dickinson has been the only name I really look just because Chicago has so much space. Uh, San Jose had another name like that as well in um, Oscar Lindblom, who they signed. I think he's at $3 million, same kind of thing, just kind of underwhelmed this year. I don't know if that, I've not heard them looked at, in, to it at all, but I think that would be an alternate route as well in terms of that way, the team would view it as not having to eat all of sites of cap it, even though that is what's happening.
1: Yeah, that would be uh I, I mean, that would, that would kind of hit two two birds with one stone, right? You would um, get out of Zaitsev, get some cap relief, and still – I mean, that, Dickinson, that is expensive, but that would be better than any guy in the bottom six right now, uh, including Joseph, I believe, right? I don't know if Joseph's on that pace, but I know he's missed a lot of games. But, like, that that would be huge. Um, I I, I – I, have given Pierre Dorian a lot of credit and I've also given him a lot of flack because he's deserved it, right? He's been the GM for about seven years now. So there's going to be the fair share of both. And uh, I don't know if he would make that kind of trade based on what we've seen. I don't know if he would get that creative, um, but it would, it would be nice. It would be nice. You're right. I think there's a lot of other teams probably that have that kind of situation. The only thing is I think Zaitsev has a modified no trade or a full no trade or something crazy, um, Just a ridiculous contract. Uh, I think but... it's 10 teams if I'm not mistaken. But at this point, right. I I kind of
0: wonder what Zaitsev, if, like, I think he might waive to go almost anywhere. Maybe there's a couple occasions he's like, absolutely not. Like, yeah. but I think I, I and maybe I'm completely off on this, but my kind of thought process, on yeah, it's a 10 team, no trade list. I just looked it up. Okay. Um, my kind of thought process on it is there's only one year left on this deal. I think if you're Ottawa and he goes, no, I'm, I'm going to give you 10 teams I don't want to go to. If you're Ottawa, you go, okay, that's fine. You're playing in Belleville all year. Yeah, exterior, yeah, yeah. Right? That's the thing. And I just can't imagine going to Chicago as a worse option for, for Zaitsev than Belleville or whatever. So yeah. I, I'm less worried than I was definitely two years ago because I think that would have been a legitimate sticking point two years ago if they wanted to actually move him. But yeah, I think with one year left, it probably makes it easier, I would hope. Um, but that, that's just my thought too. I, and again, who knows? I don't have any inside info on it. I would just... If I'm Ottawa, that is what my thought process would be. It would be like, listen, we don't want to use the threat of Belleville, but we will if we have to for an awful 82-game season.
1: Yeah, that's fair. And, and for all well, we know, they might have had those discussions already. I mean, we know they were trying to move them at the deadline. We know they're still trying to move them. Or, sorry, not at the deadline in the summer. We know they're still trying to move them. Um, yeah, I, it, it's really tough because – you know, you need to move him. The player probably knows he needs to be moved at this point. He's not, he's not an idiot. The agent's probably communicated to him. Um, But, you know, if you're the player, you have the legal authority to say, have a say in where you go. So I, I, if I'm Zaitsev, the Sens haven't given me anything in my career really where I feel like I owe them, right? I mean, they haven't bought them out, but like a buyout wouldn't make any sense. I honestly, I still though, this summer a buyout might make a bit of sense if you. Can't I was just about anything. to ask if yeah. you had to give up a second, would you rather just buy him out? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, i I would imagine if like a buyout changes this summer versus now, like it probably saves certain money just because it's one year left. So I think yeah. I actually looked at it. It would be a two million something cap it, and then an eight hundred thousand or something. You're right on the bottle So I just okay, pulled it up right. on uh, Cap Friendly. So.
0: Um, yeah, they can't buy him out until June. That's the earliest date you can. And I just double-checked because I also want – so he's got a $2 million signing bonus this year as well. And yeah. I wanted to know if that affected anything, but it doesn't because it's the whole year. So, yeah, if they bought him out this summer at any point, it would be a $2.833 million cap hit for this year and 833 k next year. So they would save $1.66 million in terms of a cap hit this year, but then obviously have the 800 k next year.
1: I mean – so you kind of essentially just slide – like you save whatever, but like the cap in two years isn't the problem. It's the cap next year. So I would highly consider that if I was the Ottawa Senators. I know I looked at it last year, um, and it wasn't as enticing just with the, what the cap it would do. It was more Colin White-esque. Yeah. Um, man, that's uh, that's enticing because, yeah, that I would do that 100 times over. So maybe they do. Maybe they do if they can't find a trade partner. I think they've been trying to – and this is just speculation, I think that based on how many teams they're calling and all these bad contracts that they're kind of circling, what would still be upgrades on their current decor, right? Like Tyler Myers isn't a world-moving defenseman, but I think he'd be an upgrade on what they have right now. I wouldn't touch that contract personally. Well, but but my point is, my point is I think they've been trying to link Zaitsev with these deals. So, mm-hmm. And we know that with the Myers thing, they did. It was close, wasn't it? Uh, I guess that was a couple months ago. It was reported on... Uh, 32 thoughts that they tried to link those together and it didn't get to Myers or didn't get to Zaitsev or something like that. Right. But so I think they've been trying to do that. If they can't get there at this deadline, I think Nikita Zaitsev is is going to be bought out this summer. I don't know if you know this or have it in front of you. Do you know if they buy him out, if he gets that $2 million bonus, probably not. Uh, I
0: think that would be a case. case. I think okay. you do get your signing bonus regardless. Because well, I
1: know that the bonuses are July 1st, and if the buyout is June 30th, it would be an absolute kick in the nuts. <laughs> so, for Yeah, I'm bonus.
0: pretty sure. Let me just try and pull it up quick. I just closed cap friendly. But oh, if, if I remember correctly, because he's got the signing bonus, that's why the actual cap hit is a little higher. Um, that's why it's 2.8 versus, I think if he didn't have the signing bonus, it would be closer to two or something along those lines. But mm. I'm not, positive on that either but yeah i i definitely agree you know that would be an absolute kick in the pills if you don't get it um but it, it is just a tool unfortunately unfortunately for him it it is a tool where i do think that kind of goes towards ottawa's leverage for other teams where you know again if a team goes we're only taking him if you give us a second round pick or whatever and they don't want to give up that second round pick you know they will have the the leverage of going where we can just buy this guy out you know like we yeah. we don't want to do that obviously but we're not going to like retain money and give up a second still or something like that when when we can just buy him out so um let's see buy out here initial cap bio cost it doesn't
1: look like he actually gets his signing bonus wow i mean i i can see where this is heading uh just based on some track record we'll see if new ownerships in place by then but i don't know man i i i I had looked at it a couple weeks ago, um, obviously because I I knew the numbers just off the top of my head there. But uh, I would imagine that now, given that they haven't been able to move him to this point, that will be um, plan. Okay, no,
0: sorry, I read it wrong. You you do get your signing bonus. Okay, okay. So here's the breakdown. So the bio cost is technically eight hundred and thirty-three k each year. But because he has that $2 million and the $833K come from an initial base salary of $2.5 million. But because he has the signing bonus of $2 million, that gets thrown onto his earnings in the first year. So he would get 2.8 in the first year with that signing bonus and then 8.33 the next year. And that that
1: 2.8, just to be clear, the 2.8 would count against the cap in the first year. That is also
0: their cap hit the first year. And that is what exactly what Zaitsev would make that first year as well. So they would save 1.666 total but they would still be paying him 2.8, including that $2 million signing bonus.
1: Okay. So if we get to that point in the summer, then it's, you know, if it seems asking you to retain 50%, like buying out makes way more sense, you mm-hmm. know, and 800 K against the cap is league minimum. That's nothing. Yep. Um, and that's, that's also again, in two years when the cap is expected to jump, you don't have as many other deals on the books. Like everything should be sunshine and roses for this end. So that's where I think they're going anyway, maybe they end up moving with the deadline and some deal for Pareco or whatever is going on. Like, Maybe you tell the Blues, you just give him to the Blues and the Blues buy him out. I don't know. I don't know um, if that's something I would I would even want. But, yeah, there's a lot that can happen with Zaitsev. And, and I don't know if Dorian's the guy to make it happen, but he's the guy who brought him here. So he, he, it kind of feels like he should be. I think the takeaway I'm coming from with this, just from this conversation even before,
0: and I didn't even feel that way before we started talking, but they have many, way more options in terms of, this isn't as negative of a situation as I kind of thought it oh, would be. 100%, in terms of, 100%. And and even that what people have made it out to be like, yeah, it's not, it's a bad contract, but there's only one more year. And that makes it really easy that to make an easy way out for yourself, whether that be yeah. buyout, whether that be using some leverage. And, and again, like, the, the other thing we're not even saying, a team like Chicago is going to have to hit the cap floor next year. Yep. Because we, both Kane and Taves ten and a half million dollars are coming off the books. And mm-hmm. again, it sounds like Kane's probably going to get moved. Taves, I don't think it will, especially because he just came out and said he's dealing with a long yeah. COVID, which unfortunate. But but they're going to have to hit the flo- the floor next year. So it's like, mm-hmm. you know, maybe Heights has four point five million dollars, especially. If you're like, and it'll be this will be really interesting when new ownership comes into play here, I think, as well. If new ownership comes in, and I don't know, I don't think a sale might be done by that point, but if they're willing to eat the two million dollar signing bonus, somebody's that becomes a 2.5 million dollar player with a 4.5 million dollar cap. It that's legitimate, like, as weird as it is to sound for a rebuilding team, that
1: actually has value for a lot of it's people, huge. right? Yeah. So, and we um, know better than anyone, right? Those I, were I, valuable I, contracts for the Sands a couple of years ago. A hundred percent. And a team like Arizona would still be in that bucket. So, yeah,
0: um, yeah again, like I don't, I don't think it's going to be quite as bad as people think. And, and that's why I'm totally okay if there is no move to be had this deadline. Don't force something. Play your cards right because, yeah, you're going to have options. You're not getting forced into a corner where you have to give – a King's ransom away just to get him off the book. So you can sign bring it this summer. It's just, there's no outcome where that happens. So yeah. I'm not, I'm not super worried about it, which I think is a much better feeling than I had even on the situation a couple of weeks ago, which is nice.
1: The problem though, is you could look at it as a positive. I think they are, they're going to have 20 ish million, maybe 16 in, in uh cap space next year. And then you got to sign the uh, Brinket, Pinto, Brantstrom, and I feel like I'm forgetting one big name, or bigger name, I guess. But that's Zub's much, contract will kick in. Yeah, I think that's with Zube. So sixteen is with Zoob So that's sixteen in space. You allocate what half of that to Debrinket, maybe a bit more, maybe a third of it to Pinto. So, so I don't know what Pinto, like Pinto will probably just get a bridge at like two, like two million. I, I would guess, or maybe even less. I don't, I don't know. But um, anyway, my point is a lot of contract come off the books, like more than half their decor are UFAs uh, right now or or free agents. Um, So there's there's wiggle room. There's a lot of wiggle room. The problem is you have to supplement it with depth. (laughs) So you've got Caslick and Kelly under contract in that bottom six. That's it. Gambrell needs a contract, Um, but he's an RFA, I believe. But those are the only two bottom six guys you have locked up for next year. So you've got some wiggle room there. And I like that um, notion that, you know, they can get creative, whether it's Dorian or whether, you know, it's someone else because the depth is what needs to be upgraded this summer. Um, you need help for Pinto on that third line. You need guys who can step up if other guys go down with injuries. Um, yeah. So so a third line left wing would be my biggest priority in the summer other than signing the big guys. And I think they can get it done. Um, obviously, if they add another defenseman and all this, blah, blah, blah. Um, but we'll, we'll see. I, I, I don't know if it's going to happen by the deadline this year. It just doesn't seem like the right circumstance for the Sens. I really do just think just ride with what you have unless you get your doors blown off with the trade offer. But crazier things have happened, man. We'll see. Yeah, and the other thing I think to keep in mind real quick before we
0: wrap this up is every summer, there's a couple guys that become available that you had no idea would ever become available, right? So, And that's why, like especially as you get later. in the exactly right, right. And, yeah. and and that's why I think as and especially we see it later in the summer too as teams start to really panic about their gap situation so yeah if I'm Ottawa I, I try not to panic and and yeah, you got to rehaul your depth next year, and I think that's something that they they will be able to do, and they'll have the cap space to do. But yeah, being patient is is going to be a key part of that, whether that's the Zaitsev move or or who they go and try and acquire next summer too. Because the days of going to spend for the Claude Giroux guys are over. Like they they need to be they need to be savvy with how they spend on their depth, and you know that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that, especially when you have as good of a top six as this team does. But um, yeah, it, it's going to be interesting to see how they kind of approach things this deadline and into the summer, but you know, that that'll give us lots to talk about, obviously going forward. Uh, Jack, let's wrap things up. That was a re- really good uh, episode.
1: Plug some stuff. Where can people find you and, and all your work? Yeah. So I'm just write, writing for uh, Dine sports, just, just, as much as I can and hopefully more going forward, just in the playoffs and everything also doing um, video content for them. Just, just uh, uh, YouTube stuff that we're, um, slowly getting going and then uh, obviously the Future Sickos podcast we try and do pre-game shows before most of the games um, and I, occasionally I'm I'm on the postcast for the Lockdown Center a lot so most of my stuff is linked through Twitter um, and that, that's where everyone can find me. Yeah, absolutely can't recommend checking that out enough and uh, Jack, thank you so much for joining me.
0: off have to be on down the road when there's always going to be more to talk about. Yeah, no problem, man. Thanks. Any, anytime. Huge thanks to Jack for joining me today. I hope everyone enjoyed as much as I did recording that. I think we really hit on some, some good topics. And I'm excited to see what the Suns do as the uh, the trade down line approaches here. So I'll keep it nice and short. Um, as always, you can find my work at lastwordonhockey.com. As I mentioned earlier in the podcast, I did a piece breaking down the Sense depth, and I'm hoping to get in a little more right. I know I've said that a couple times on this podcast, but it is a goal of mine. And, you know, I've been doing weekly predictions and rumors pieces that are always there, too. I should tweet those out more, which you can follow me on Twitter at NHLSense and stuff, and the show at lastwordonsense.com. Or on um, lastwordonsense uh, on Twitter. So. Um, and if you want to hear more of my voice, you can listen to my other podcast, the MNM hockey podcast, which is officially on the last word radio network, which super excited to get started. I'm. I think that, you know, there's big plans for this podcast as well. Uh, maybe with the same network, just a little hint going forward, but we'll see. Um, but yeah, thank you everyone so much for the support. Uh, I think the next podcast will very likely be after the trade deadline as that is in uh, about a week and a half from now, I think I'm going to get someone to on to help me recap everything that's happened, unless a massive deal breaks between now and then, which I don't know, I, I don't think so. But at the same time, it sounds like the sentence will definitely be in the rumor mill over the next week or so. So if there's anyone you want to hear on the podcast with me, you know, let me know again, either on Twitter or in the comments, you know, leave, leave a like and a rating that would go a long way for the podcast. But if there's anyone you want to hear, you know, let me know and I can absolutely do my best to reach out and and try and get them on you know i'm always looking for more guests and uh diversify the voices on this podcast as well i think it, it's always great getting different angles and you know viewpoints from what people think um uh, aside from my own you know so um, yeah thank you everyone so much for listening i hope you all have a great week and